This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. It's Sunday, October 6th. I'm Margaret Brennan in the nation's capital, and this is Face the Nation. Everything to me is about corruption. Washington weathers another week of fallout from President Trump's now infamous July 25th call with Ukrainian President Zelensky. At issue, a request for Ukraine to investigate former Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter. Was it a quid pro quo for the U.S. releasing millions of military aid to that country? The House impeachment inquiry is underway. Is the pressure getting to the president? She hands out subpoenas like they're cookies. You want a subpoena? Here you go, take them like they're cookies. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is adopting a different tone. Impeaching a president or having the investigation to impeach a president is not uh, anything to be joyful about. But many Republicans claim this is just a political stunt. Our guests, top Republican Senator Missouri's Roy Blunt and two key House Democrats, Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Elliot Engel and Congressman Jim Himes, who sits on the Intelligence Committee. Plus, we'll hear from two journalists who've closely covered past impeachments, The Washington Post, Bob Woodward, and Peter Baker of The New York Times. All that and political analysis of the week up next on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. There's been another series of stunning developments in the story that is consuming Washington. President Trump continues to attack his critics, tweeting over 160 times this week. He also made several freewheeling appearances filled with unsubstantiated claims alongside visiting foreign leaders. Biden and his son are stone cold crooked. And you know it. His son walks out with millions of dollars. The kid knows nothing. You know it, and so do we. Go ahead, ask a question. But the, the question, sir, was what did you want President Zelensky to do about Pre- Vice President Biden and his son, Hunter? Are you talking to me? Yeah, you it was just a follow-up of what I just asked Listen, you. Sir. The only thing that matters is the transcript of the actual conversation that I had with the president of Ukraine. It was perfect. Your own DNI said the call transcript was consistent with the complaint. So should... No, 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 he didn't say that. You have to take a look. No, 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 he did not say that. But 
He did. I would say that uh, the whistleblower's con- uh, complaint is in alignment uh, with what was released yesterday by the, the president. Kurt Volker, Mr. Trump's special envoy to Ukraine, who resigned last week, handed Congress a series of text messages between himself, U.S. Ambassador to the EU Gordon Sondland, a major Trump campaign donor, and career State Department diplomat Bill Taylor. The texts reveal administration pressure on Ukraine to launch an investigation in exchange for a White House visit. This from Volker to a Zelensky aide. Assuming President Zelensky convinces Trump he will investigate, get to the bottom of what happened in 2016, we will nail down date for visit to Washington. President Trump also asked another country to look into former Vice President Biden and his son Hunter. And by the way, likewise, China should start an investigation into the Biden. Biden responded angrily. There's been no indication of any conflict of interest from Ukraine or anywhere else, period. I'm not going to I'm not going to respond to that. Let's focus on the problem. Focus on this man, what he's doing that no president has ever done. No president. Have you ever seen a rhetorical question? A president ever so unhinged as this guy is. That's what worries me. Let the House focus on what they're focusing on in the Senate. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to beat him on the merits. Thank you. Congress is seeking documents from Vice President Pence and Secretary of State Pompeo. Nations do this. Nations work together and they say, boy, goodness gracious, if you can help me with X, we'll help you achieve Y. This is what partnerships do. It's win-win. Mr. Trump acknowledged he may be impeached. So the Democrats, unfortunately, they have the vote and then we'll get it to the Senate and we're going to win. The Republicans have been very unified. And that's true for the most part, but there are some cracks in Republican unity. Utah Senator Mitt Romney called the president's Ukraine and China request brazen and unprecedented, wrong and appalling. Nebraska's Ben Sass and Maine Susan Collins were also critical. And with that, we begin this morning with Missouri Republican Senator Roy Blunt. He's part of Republican Party leadership, and he joins us here in studio. Good morning. Morning, Margaret. Uh, We learned this morning from attorneys representing now multiple whistleblowers who have come forward in relation to that complaint uh, first revealed in August related to concern that the president was seeking foreign interference in the 2020 election. Uh, How should this be handled? Uh, What will Senate Intelligence do? Well, as you know, the Senate Intelligence Committee that I serve on has been asked to look at this to see if we can't assemble all of the facts. I think that gives us a responsibility to actually try to get the facts before we reach conclusions. Uh, Others who haven't been asked to do that might reach their conclusions a little quicker than we are. But in terms of other people stepping forward, uh, I heard on uh, earlier today that maybe this would be a first-hand source, which means they... That's what the attorney for one I guess that means they may have says. seen the transcript that we now have all seen. Uh, you know, I did wonder, as we talked to the uh, IG for the, the intelligence community, is there something wrong with the whistleblower law that people who were first-hand sources told somebody else and tried to get that other person to come forward. I think it will be interesting to find out more about who that person is and what kind of contacts they had. We do know that they contacted the Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee, and then Chairman Schiff said that didn't happen. 
Uh, but we all are sort of first-hand sources now that we've all seen the transcript. And let's mm-hmm. see what else actually that really means that you've got somebody else coming forward. Well, that initial whistleblower said there were about half a dozen individuals who could back up what he said. The attorney for the second whistleblower says there is first-hand knowledge. Uh, well, that might be, but we've all seen the transcript now, so we can all back up what the whistleblower said as it relates to the transcript. I think actually the speaker chose a fairly narrow topic here to move forward on. Mm-hmm. It's not very confusing. One way or another, you're going to decide is what the president says he said an impeachable problem or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's a different situation when the president actually says uh, those are that's what I said and here's why I said it and I think it was the president says he thinks he was on solid ground and uh, we'll see what well, other facts might come to the fore that have an impact on that. Are you comfortable with what the president has said here in this call for foreign governments Ukraine and China to investigate his political opponent? Well, I I, I doubt if the China comment was serious to tell you the truth. The you don't take the president the at president his word. Loves, no, the president loves to go out on the on the White House drive. I haven't talked to him about this. I don't know what the president was thinking, but I knew he loves to bait the press. And he mm-hmm. does that almost every day to see what you'll talk about and maybe what he was hoping was So you don't somebody believe in the, press the president, say, but is that appropriate to ask for a foreign government to interfere I, in the election? I don't imagine that's what he was doing. Certainly but we, is it we shouldn't expect the Chinese, the Russians, or any of our other national security uh, adversaries to be helpful in any way. And if they do come forward with information, I think you'd have to seriously question whether there was any veracity to that information or not. Because you're on Senate intelligence, can we just establish a fact here? You've been part of one of the only bipartisan investigations into election meddling. Is there any shadow of a doubt that it was Russia that interfered in 2016? No shadow of a doubt that Russia interfered. Because you're hearing from others, including the president's attorney, these ideas that maybe Ukraine meddled. Have you seen any facts to substantiate that? Well, I think there's some facts that indicate the Ukraine was involved in some things like purporting to have information on Manafort that even Mueller didn't use. I don't know if that came forward in 16 or it came forward in 17. Not very hard to meddle in the way the Russians did. I think you have to assume that the Russians, the North Koreans, the Iranians, the Chinese, Mm -hmm. all are trying to get in our systems all the time. And every one of them and others would see anything good for uh, them as bad for the United States, and more importantly, anything bad for the United States is good for them. But when the president says things like he did in that call record that there's a server in Ukraine, is that a conspiracy theory, or have you established that as fact? I don't have any information on that. Is it fact? Do you know know it to be true? I don't know. Is it anything that your committee's looked into? Not that I'm aware of. Is it worth and looking into? And I don't into? think it was part, you know, we've been, as, as you said, we've tried to stay in a bipartisan way here. I think mm-hmm. uh, the Intel Committee and the Senate has uniquely been able to do that. I hope we're able to do that through the next uh, few weeks as we try to put a fairly small fact set together. This is not like going back and looking at everything any outside source might have done in the election. It's looking at facts. Mm-hmm. The, the key one that the president says is accurate and then trying to determine what more may be out there. Uh, Your Republican colleague, Senator Ron Johnson, told the Wall Street Journal in an interview that he had a conversation. He was personally told by the U.S. ambassador to the EU, Gordon Sundlin, in a phone call that if Ukraine would get to the bottom of what happened in 2016, if President Trump has that confidence, then he'll release the military spending. Johnson then says in this interview, 
at that suggestion, I winced. My reaction was, oh, God, I don't want to see those two things combined. Johnson went on to say the president denied having anything to do with this, but he's substantiating here in this interview on the record that there was a discussion of a quid pro quo. Well, now, remember, you know, some of these ambassadors in these discussions haven't had any diplomatic experience. Just the fact that you'd widely He was confirmed by the Senate things. into this job. Does he, he need he to was. be held accountable, Gordon he, Sunland? He does. They all do. They all need to be held accountable. You need to be held accountable if you're speculating. Do you think this was sanctioned by the president? Um, His no, personal attorney no, no seems to be suggesting I have this. no reason to know that. Is that something that you think is worth looking into? I think we should look into everything. Again, I think this fact set is fairly small. I think we need to put it together uh, and then determine if the, the president's statement that he said this, what that really means. I do think it's not unusual for foreign leaders when they talk to each other to say, here's something I'd like you to do for me, mm-hmm. whether it's a, a, a trade agreement or some other agreement. I don't think that's unusual. Uh, but I think the question here is going to be, is this going to be a partisan effort yeah. on the part of the House? Do the facts really matter? And frankly, Margaret, if they come what out of this pretty quickly, I think a lot depends on what happens in the House. I think you have to assume if it's an essentially a partisan vote in the House, uh, that that sets the stage for the likely same kind of vote in the Senate. Mm-hmm. But let's see what the facts are. Senator Blunt, appreciate you joining us today. We turn now to a top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, Connecticut Congressman Jim Himes, who joins us from Stanford. Uh, Congressman, welcome to Face the Nation. Good morning, Margaret. Uh, You just heard uh, Senator Blunt there. I want to ask you the same question in regard to the whistleblowers that we are now hearing. There are multiple who have come forward in relation to that initial complaint. Has your committee heard from them? What happens next? Um, So we've obviously heard not even from the initial whistleblower whose identity is still hopefully being protected, but we've obviously heard all about the complaint and the inspector general has told us all of the background around that. But no, we have not heard from a second. But, um, you know, Margaret, this this actually highlights an interesting aspect of this whole mess, which is as much as Donald Trump is raging against Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats and subpoenas like cookies, his problem is not with the Democrats. It's not with people like me. We're sort of sitting here watching the information flow out of the White House, damning information, facts that are undisputed. What's happening, Margaret, is that people around the president, Mm -hmm. professionals who are in the Oval Office, who are uh, in the Situation Room, are watching what is happening and are finally saying, my God, this cannot happen anymore. And they are coming forward, either as whistleblowers, as apparently as many as two people are going to do officially, but also leaking, which, by the way, is not a good thing. But an awful lot of this story is coming out because people who are in the room uh, are talking to the Washington Post and the New York Times and to, and, and to others. So the just, president's just, real problem is that his behavior is probably, has finally gotten to a place where people are saying enough. Just to clarify, you said people who are in the situation room. Are you saying that these people, when they have firsthand knowledge, were on the call? What I'm saying is um, that there were stories before we even saw the original whistleblower complaint in the press about this whistleblower complaint that were coming from sources that had firsthand knowledge. So, I, you know, because they were press sources, I don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, leaking to the press is not the way to do this. Right. The way to do this is to do what the whistleblower did. But my point is, whether they were in the room or had firsthand knowledge or talked to somebody who had firsthand knowledge, people who are in the very core 
uh, of all of these events are saying this can't happen anymore. So again, his, the president's problem is not with the Democrats or with Adam Schiff. It's with the fact that the people around him are saying we can't tolerate this anymore. Is the impeachment inquiry going to stay narrowly focused on this phone call and this issue with Ukraine? Or do you see the scope widening? Um, I think it's likely to stay narrowly focused on what is a threat to our national security. Um, and uh, uh, look, there's any number of issues you could take up with this president. But, you know, um, Americans, you know, if you go back and you reread the Mueller report, there's some awful, awful stuff in there where the president is ordering investigations to end or, you know, ordering uh, somebody to go tell the uh, Department of Justice to stop right. that investigation. Stuff that would have resulted in, in Barack Obama being impeached 30 times over. But I do think that the Speaker of the House understands that there is, and remember, impeachment is at, at, at heart um, a political rather than a legal thing. That's why it mm -hmm. lives in the Congress as opposed to the court system. I think that Speaker Pelosi understands that Americans feel in their bones, in their heart, a challenge to our national security, this kind of corruption. They understand that a lot better than they understand obstruction of justice or refusal to abide by uh, congressional subpoenas, which are also very, very serious uh, offenses that the president so, has committed. So, so to that point, if you believe that's Republic opinion is, you know, Republicans say if Democrats are so certain and so unified, why don't they put this to a vote to go ahead with the inquiry? Understanding that's not required of you, why not at least kill that talking point for them? Well, you know, if you try to spend your time killing Republican talking points, uh, you'll do nothing else. I mean, I heard it from Senator Blunt just now. You know, leaders ask other leaders for, for, for favors. Yeah, that may be true. I'm sure presidents have in the past asked other leaders for favors. Traditionally, those favors have not been research my political opponents. Right. Are right? the and votes so there, I, I though? Use, I, I'm sorry? Are, are there enough votes, though? I mean, are Democrats truly unified? If if uh, Speaker Pelosi did, in fact, move forward with a floor vote on uh, on actually proceeding with with an investigation, which, as you point out, is not required here, there's no question in my mind that she would have the votes. Yes. Uh, I, I want to ask about these subpoenas that uh, the House committees have put forward to the White House, to the secretary of state. Uh, in reading through this subpoena, there are a lot of uh, sensitive national security related documents that are likely to just be covered by executive privilege. What do you actually expect reasonably to the committee to actually get a hold of? Well, that's a that's a great question. Uh, right. And one of the things we need to rebuild in this country in the post Trump era is what actually executive privilege means. Executive privilege does not mean that you get to, you know, hide embarrassing documents. Executive privilege, and you know this, Margaret, stems from the idea that the president ought to be able to get advice from his advisors that is not subsequent to second guessing or, or oversight by Congress down the road. It doesn't mean that you move uh, a really embarrassing transcript off of a traditional server onto a highly classified server because you understand that if that transcript got out there in the public, it would be a real problem. It's not about hiding embarrassment. It's not about keeping uh, people from testifying that might actually produce uh, uncomfortable facts. So, um, again, I expect this White House to continue to stonewall attempts to get at the truth. This is what they've done from the very beginning. But again, uh, my Republican friends need to remember that there will be a Democratic president someday and they will want to do oversight of that Democratic president. So as they rise mm -hmm. to the defense of Donald Trump, they need to remember that they're establishing precedents here that are uh, going to really come back to bite them down the road. All right. Congressman Himes, thanks for your time. We will be back 
in one minute with a lot more Face the Nation. Don't go away. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. We're back now with New York Democratic Congressman Elliot Engel. He chairs the House Foreign Affairs Committee, one of the three committees leading the impeachment inquiry, and he's in New York this morning. Good morning to you, Congressman. Good morning, Margaret. Secretary of State Pompeo yesterday said that Congress has harassed and abused his State Department team by contacting diplomats rather than uh, their lawyers first. Is he complying with your inquiry? Well, he's not complying with the inquiry so far. We're we're hoping there are discussions that are ongoing, and we're hoping that um, he will comply, although it's it's kind of laughable, you know, since the administration, since Trump has been president, uh, we have been uh, getting numerous complaints from people who work at the State Department about all kinds of harassment by this administration, where people were summarily let go or fired because they they were uh, deemed to be the wrong political persuasion or the wrong ethnic persuasion. There are all kinds of things. So I find it really laughable that um, the Secretary of State suddenly has this great concern for the State Department when uh, he's uh, done uh, anything but uh, since he's been Secretary of State. So you will this week have the chance, or, or your committee members will, um, to question a number of diplomats. Um, the EU ambassador, Gordon Sondland, he, Ukraine's not part of the EU. Why was he part of this text message exchange? Why is he part of these arrangements to line up meetings uh, for Rudy Giuliani and Ukrainian leaders? Well, that's, that's a good question. And if I had my druthers, uh, Ukraine would be a part of the European Union and even would be a part of NATO. That's why the president's reckless actions are a threat to national security, because what we're doing, what he attempted to do, was withhold uh, much-needed aid uh, for Ukraine. Ukraine is under constant threat by Russia. I, I know the president has a, has a habit of wanting to please Putin, but the fact of the matter is we should be do everything we can to strengthen Ukraine, not threaten them, not withhold money, not mm. tell them to play uh, political games. And uh, the president just doesn't seem to care. I, I, Putin interfered in the, in the 2016 election, uh, and now the um, president thinks it's fine to, uh, to do his bidding for the 2020 election. Is your, uh, is your impeachment of inquiry... deserve better. Is your impeachment inquiry going to expand beyond Ukraine? Well, I don't know. We'll have to just see the way it goes. I think there's, frankly, plenty enough uh, material that we have right now. Um, uh, our, our, our elections are, are really integral. And, and the fact of the matter is that the president says to, to the leader of Ukraine, do us a favor, though, yeah. uh, mix in. What the president really doesn't own, it's the, 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 it's the country that, that, that owns it, and he's trying to, to use uh, this for political gain, is really a, an absolute uh, disgrace. It's uh, just never been done before in I'll, this matter. 
I'll ask you the same question I asked Congressman Himes. If Democrats have the, the certainty of their own conviction when it comes to going ahead with this impeachment inquiry, why not put it to a vote? There's historical precedent there. That's how it's been done. You may not need it, but why not do it? Well, I'm not troubled by it, but uh, but there's no re- uh, there's no reason to do it. There's there's no rule that says you have to do it. Uh, it's perfectly all right uh, the way it is. What the wouldn't Republicans it show a unified are front? trying to do? Well, I don't know if it would show a unified front because the Republicans are not are keeping quiet. They're not acting out. They're 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 just rallying around the president. It's absolutely uh, disgraceful. So now they keep throwing things into the mix to say, well, the Democrats should do this. The Democrats should do that. Um, what we should all do is make sure that the integrity of our election stands and that the, the president uh, isn't taking something that's not his to, to, to bar, barter with uh, in trying to, to get uh, uh, goods on, uh, on Joe Biden's son, that he would withhold yeah. this kind of important aid from an ally. It's just unconscionable. It, it just undermines our national security. It's a threat. And it's, it's not something that, that we should even consider. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Congressman Engel, we know you have a lot of questions this week behind closed doors. Uh, we hope to be following uh, this story as it develops. Thank you for joining us today. We will be right back in a moment. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome back to Face the Nation. Only two presidents have been impeached in the history of our country. Andrew Johnson in 1868 and Bill Clinton in 1998. Richard Nixon, of course, resigned in 1974 before the House could take a final vote. We're now joined by two reporters who broke the stories about Nixon and Clinton. Bob Woodward is an associate editor at The Washington Post, who won a Pulitzer Prize for his Watergate coverage. Peter Baker is chief White House correspondent for The New York Times and helped break the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Good to have both of you here. Thank you. And we'll try to sort of give some perspective. We haven't been through this as a country many times before. Um, Peter, you cover the current White House. I have not heard of war rooms or strategy sessions. Have you discovered what the Trump administration is going to do? Well, I think you have a war room of one right now, one man and an iPhone, basically, or whatever smartphone he's using. And there is no other structure around him that has been set up in a a, a coherent way, unlike the Clinton uh, White House, which did, in fact, build a war room uh, to defend him in that impeachment. The president has yet to do that. Uh, he may get there. There's talk about that. There's a lot of struggling inside. Who would be in charge? Would it be the White House chief of staff? Would they have a separate unit? That kind of thing. But for the moment, the president feels like he's his own best defender. 
What do you think, as someone who's been observing President Trump's behavior? Is he reacting as you'd expect? Well, you need to try to step back and look at who he is. And he's somebody who hates to lose. Mm -hmm. He's got to win. I have a scene in my book, Fear, where they're talking about, uh, Trump is talking about the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un. And Trump says, this is about leader versus leader, man versus man, me versus Kim. Other words, it's personal combat. They're gladiators in the Coliseum to a certain extent. And so he's not somebody who's going to bend on this. Uh, what I think we need to worry about uh, is it's a war. Mm-hmm. And you have to ask the question, uh, how does this war end? In the case of the Clinton uh, imp- impeachment, as uh, Peter so cr- well chronicled in his book, after Clinton is acquitted in the Senate, it's a, it's a um, very stunning moment. He goes in the rose. Oh, oh, have you got it? Yeah, we actually have oh. that tape. If we can play yeah. it. What I want the American people to know, what I want the Congress to know, is that I am profoundly sorry for all I have done wrong in words and deeds. I never should have misled the country, the Congress, my friends, or my family. Quite simply, I gave in to my shame. I have been condemned by my accusers with harsh words. That was not a victory lap. He apologized. He said... I, I am sorry for what I said and did that triggered this, and we've got to reconcile. We need to uh, go into a period of renewal. Knowing what we know about Trump, he's not going to apologize, I suspect, whether he wins or loses. Peter, the, the takeaway most people seem to have, the conventional wisdom, is that looking at what happened with Clinton that it is a politically losing strategy mm. uh, to go through with an impeachment. Right. Is that model actually applicable here? I mean, no sitting president running for re-election right. has faced impeachment I think before. that's a really important point you just made, Mark. Both Nixon and Clinton were in their second terms. They weren't going to face the voters again. We may find that the outcome in Congress is similar to the Clinton case, in which case you have uh, an impeachment vote by the House along party lines, the opposition party largely impeaching a president of the other party, and an acquittal or some sort of dismissal by a Senate that can't get to a two-thirds bipartisan vote. But in this case, you will have an appeal. You will have a greater appeals court, and that will be the court of public opinion, because in November of 2020, this issue will have been teed up for the voters to decide. Is President Trump fit for office or not? Did the things we learned through the impeachment uh, tell us something about whether he deserves a second term, and what does it tell us about the Congress and how they handled it? And it contrasts so sharply with what we mentioned in the introduction, is that Nixon didn't even want to go through the vote on impeachment. He didn't want the indignity of it. It, it, It's an astonishing moment. Barry Goldwater, the Republican conservative, went with the House and uh, Senate leaders, uh, Republican leaders, to see Nixon after the smoking gun tape was released. And Goldwater had Carl Bernstein and myself up to his apartment, and he got out the whiskey, and then he got out his personal diary. And he said, 
that it was August 7th, a couple of days after that smoking gun tape was released, he and the Republican leaders went to meet with Nixon alone in the Oval Office. And they said, we're going to let Barry Goldwater be our spokesman. And so Nixon, how many votes am I going to have in the Senate? I know I'm going to be impeached. Stunning moment, Goldwater said, Mr. President, I have counted. And there are four very firm votes for you. I am not one of them. And the next day, Nixon announced he was going to resign. He was withdrawing from the battlefield. And as you look back on it, uh, you know, 45 years ago, he has to get some credit for not letting the war go on. And yet, as you heard on this program from Senator Blunt, he wouldn't even discuss the conduct of the president. Instead saying he didn't really mean what he said. Right. Yeah, he didn't want to defend him. None of them, almost very few of them anyway, want to defend the conduct. The few who are speaking out on his behalf are attacking the process. Right. Right. The other side is partisan. The other side is unfair. The other side are spies or whistleblowers. All that. Not talking about what the president did and whether that's okay. I did a survey, if you will, of former White House chiefs of staff going back to Reagan, Republican and Democrat, over the last couple of days. Not one of them could remember a circumstance where they solicited or accepted foreign help in in the context of a contest with political uh, implications like this. This is something that hasn't been done. So Republicans don't want to defend it, but they do want to stick by the president for the moment because he controls the party in a way that Nixon didn't, Mm. and even the way Clinton didn't, in 1998. What do you mean by that? What has changed? I think, I think, sorry, but I think that I think the system is so polarized and so, uh, and, the, and the parties are so ideologically homogenous now as opposed to the old days. There used to be middle of the road Republicans, yes. middle of the road Democrats. Those are gone. So if you're a Republican, you're much more concerned about a primary than you are about losing the middle ground. And that means the president controls that base for the moment and therefore the, the fate of these senators and congressmen. And, and the question is in a practical political sense, is this going to be considered a high crime, as is in the Constitution? And uh, you've talked to some of the Republican senators, and they're really sticking by him, or at least he's got enough sticking by him. And so I think the big question is, are are they going to broaden this investigation? Because having done this for too many decades, there's always more mm-hmm. someplace. And whether people in the media or whether investigators are going to find it. Uh, but to just look through this one keyhole, small part of Trump world, uh, may not be enough to really understand what's hidden because things are Hidden. And you raise this point that's, I think, really important here. We're only three weeks into this. Mm. But the speed with which we are hearing more and more about what was happening behind the scenes, the text messages that were revealed this week, the testimonies that will be happening behind closed doors this coming week, does the speed of this change something here in terms of how we digest it? Well, they're trying to speed it up. Mm. And uh, they've said this is all about Ukraine. But... Uh, The Trump presidency is about, if I were to count them, you know better as you cover this, 400 other things. And uh, I I just think you you want a comprehensive look. Now, in the Internet age of impatience and speed, uh, everyone, you know, 
decide it now. Tell right. me exactly what's going on. And this process is too important. You're exactly mm -hmm. right. Are, are we going to get into an election that will be kind of a referendum up and down on right. the impeachment investigation? The Democrats need to really be careful about yeah. how they let this play out. I, I mean, suppose uh, something happens we, uh, and something will happen and it's unresolved and Clinton, uh, or I'm sorry, Trump is still out there, yeah. you know, banging on everyone yeah. and the Democrats are trying, I mean, we're, we're in for, I mean, let's hope it's not a bloody 2020. Wow. Do facts matter anymore, Peter? It is so interesting to listen to the president talk up there, and he will say things that are not true and just repeat them and repeat them as if somehow that will make them true, right? The whistleblower got my call all wrong. Well, actually, no, the whistleblower had a pretty accurate account of that call. Uh, you know, Hunter Biden took a billion and a half out of China. Well, that's just not the case. You know, I mean, that's to say that Hunter Biden didn't have business in China. He did. He had business in Ukraine. Those are worth scrutinizing. But the president keeps getting up there and saying things that are just demonstrably untrue. Fact checkers are working overtime these days to sort out the sort of stuff he throws against the wall to see if it'll stick versus the things that are genuine and real. Mm -hmm. And that's a real challenge here. I think both President Nixon and President Clinton were held to account when they said things that were not true. And they, for, in effect, backed off when they were confronted with evidence that they were wrong. This president doesn't back off when he's confronted with evidence that he's wrong. Peter, uh, thank you so thank much you. for your perspective. We'll be right back with our political panel. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. It's now time for some analysis from our political panel. Susan Page is the Washington Bureau Chief of USA Today. Julie Hirschfield-Davis is the congressional editor at The New York Times and co-author of a new book, Border Wall Wars, Inside Trump's Assault on Immigration. I said walls. Wonder why. Ramesh Panuru is a senior editor at the National Review and a Bloomberg opinion columnist. And Jamel Bowie is a columnist for The New York Times and a CBS News political analyst. Good to have all of you here. Thank you. Ramesh, I want to start with you. You heard Senator Blunt do what Marco Rubio did the other day, which is to say the defense of the president will rest on don't believe your eyes and don't believe your ears. He didn't actually say what he said. Right. Or he didn't mean it. So don't right. don't take him seriously. Don't take him literally. Um, I think that it reflects the difficulty Republicans are having in defending President Trump's conduct here. So we've had uh, first an attempt to say the president didn't set foreign policy 
um, in a way that was calculated to serve his domestic political interests. And now we're beginning to hear an argument that it's okay that if he if he did do that, that was totally within his prerogative. And it's sort of a cacophony of defenses because no one of them is really quite strong enough. Mm-hmm. And yet no one is challenging the conduct. There is not a, I have a problem with what was done. It was just, I'm going to stay with the party. Nobody is challenging it, with few exceptions. And not many you don't people, even need one hand. Not many, people are, <laughs> not many people are defending it either. Mostly what they want to do is deflect. They want to change the subject, or they just want to be silent and uh, not show up on TV at all. <laughs> this is true. Jamel, um, is this strategy uh, of going down the impeachment inquiry path potentially going to backfire for Democrats? Thus far, there's no evidence that it is. Thus far, voters seem to be supportive of the investigation by a slim majority or sort of like very large uh, plurality. And as far as supporting outright impeachment and removal, there seems to be some indication that voters are open to it if the investigation uh, reveals or, or shows or proves serious misconduct. So I think my take on it is that Democrats are probably in, in, the, in the safe zone as long as this appears not to be some sort of partisan attack, right? As long as it looks like two voters, uh, that Democrats are investigating something quite serious, which is trying to tamper with the election, trying to uh, corrupt the election, basically trying to cheat uh, into a second term. As long as that's how it appears to voters, I think they're probably fine. And I think the extent to which the Republican defense does sort of hinge on trying to make this look very partisan, I think is a sense, it, it, is a, it shows that mm-hmm. Republicans recognize that that's the case as well. Susan, what does this mean for the 2020 race? I mean, you have Joe Biden out there with a Washington Post op-ed, but he hasn't sat and really answered questions to clear the air on this. You know, is it going to hurt him? Yes, it's, go- it's going to hurt him. It's hurting him already, fairly or not. You know, we should start any discussion of this by saying there's no evidence that Joe Biden did anything illegal or anything improper. Uh, that said, on this show, we saw a commercial paid for by the Trump campaign making the case against Biden. We had a USA Today Ipsos poll this week that showed that by two to one, by 42 to 21 percent, Americans say it would be legitimate. There are valid reasons to investigate Biden's behavior when it came to Ukraine. You know, the, the behavior was not illegal. It's not unusual for family members to try to cash in on mm-hmm. famous or powerful relatives. It is one something that Americans do not like. It is unseemly. And that is a question that Joe Biden is going to have to answer moving forward. And, Julie, you've seen some of the competitors to Joe Biden. You had Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren express some discomfort with this, that we wouldn't let our VP have their child on the board of a company. Right. I mean, they haven't directly criticized Joe Biden. And as Mm -hmm. Susan said, no one's in his party certainly is suggesting that he's done anything wrong. But they are suggesting that this was an error in judgment on his part, that if if it had been them, they wouldn't have allowed for that to happen. And I think they recognize, as the Biden campaign recognizes, that... uh, they were facing headwinds even, even before any of this came out. Uh, you know, he, we saw his fundraising uh, lag a bit behind his, some of his leading competitors, and he was already facing headwinds in Iowa and, and, and New Hampshire. And so they see uh, a need to sort of distance themselves from this kind of behavior because, as you said, voters really don't like this. And that's a lot of the reason that Trump won in 2016 to begin with is he talked about the swamp and not liking the way that, you know, these things tend to play out in Washington. And this looks 
bad. It doesn't look great for him. What's striking, though, is that the president's own children are engaged in this kind of behavior. And what I find just fascinating about the fact that President Trump has made this his avenue mm-hmm. of attack is that it's very easily, it doesn't take very much skill or, or, or right. anything to reverse it and say, well, your, your children are doing this pre- precisely the same thing. And yet this doesn't seem to have really made a mark on the discussion about Trump's attack at all. No. Um, I want to take a quick break here and come back because there's more to talk about as to what happened on the trail. I want to talk about your new book uh, and much more. So we'll be back in a moment. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're back now with more from our political panel. Beyond impeachment, I want to touch on a few key things that happened this week. Susan, uh, the <laughs> one of the front runners in this race, Bernie Sanders, 78 years old, has a heart attack, and his campaign says nothing for three days. What does this mean for his candidacy? Well, I think it underscores questions about his age, uh, which he'll have to address by getting back on the campaign trail, participating in the next debate, looking looking vigorous. It raises questions about his transparency. Uh, you know, we have an expectation that we would have gotten this news earlier and that we would have been able, news reporters, to interview his doctors. I remember something similar with the Hillary Clinton campaign That's right. with a lot of criticism over and, lack of disclosure. And we saw the damage that did to Hillary Clinton. They, the president, President Trump, raised questions about her health, raised unfounded questions about how healthy she was. It hurt her. Uh, so so uh, I think Bernie Sanders faces some similar challenges here now. He had a great fundraising quarter, right. more than $25 million, but he is not doing so well in the polls. And Elizabeth Warren is coming in like a steamroller with some of those progressive voters that are the base of Bernie Sanders' support. So with Sanders coming off of this, when you look at Biden facing the challenges he is facing, what does this mean for the field? <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> a lot of things. Um what, one thing is that I think it does, if Biden ends up declining as a result of all of this, and if Sanders still can't expand beyond his supporters, I think it does leave a wide open field for Elizabeth Warren to continue attracting other voters and kind of positioning herself as the front runner in the race. I think it also may open up space in that second tier of candidates, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris in between the first and second tier, um, Pete Buttigieg, candidates who have a lot to sell on paper, Mm -hmm. who haven't quite caught fire, uh, who have been kind of crowded out by these top three. But if either of them decline in a serious way, can maybe capture some of those voters and become a compelling alternative. And for those members of Congress, senators who are looking at re-election issues in in 2020, is that part of the calculus of not criticizing or taking on the president directly? Absolutely. I mean, I think that one of the interesting things we saw a few months ago during the vote over the border wall emergency was that pretty much all of the Republicans in tight races in 2020 decided to stick with the president, calculating that even if he's unpopular in their states, he's popular enough with Republicans that they can't take the risk of losing their support. So why Susan Collins, Ben Sass, and Mitt Romney? 
Those are the only three senators who have come out with any kind of strong objections to well, what the president has done. I think for a couple reasons. Senator Romney has was recently elected. He doesn't face the voters for a while. Um, the president has been less popular in Utah than Romney is himself, so he's strong there. Senator Collins in Maine, she's got a similar issue. She's earned some credit with Republican base voters for her defense of Justice Kavanaugh, and she understands that the state is not particularly pro-Trump. But you'll notice, as you said earlier, this is just a hand, less than a handful <laughs> of people, and Trump is trying to make an example of Romney mm-hmm. by attacking him on Twitter. Um, I'm not sure that's really going to do any damage to Romney, but it's not intended to so much as it's intended to scare other people away. Julie, I want to talk about the book that you have that came out this week. It had some extraordinary um, anecdotes and reporting in it that the president came out and uh, tried to shoot down. Moats and alligators shooting migrants in the leg. What is real? What happened behind closed doors that the president says he was not considering? Well, I mean, I think what's real is his uh, real obsession with this issue. Um, He has been working since before he took office to really target immigrants and immigration as an issue politically and substantively. Um, He does tend to sort of fly into a rage about these things and mention ideas that sound outlandish to our ears and to the ears, actually, of some of his advisors, and they have managed to talk him down from some of them. Um, we talk in the in the piece that was adapted from the book that came out in the Times last week about uh, his desire to shut down the border completely. He said, we're just going to do it at noon tomorrow. And, of course, that didn't happen, and neither did the trench happen, and there are no alligators or snakes, and nobody's being shot in the legs at the border. Um, but a lot of what you will see in the book is these behind-the-scenes conversations about Uh, him sort of grasping at straws to figure out ways to get at this problem that he feels like he cannot have an influence over, even though it's what he ran on, even though it's what he cares the most about, and he thinks it's what his base cares the most about. And and you write about Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and advisor, saying essentially we've wasted two years on immigration. Yeah, in the middle of the the government shutdown, which is, you know, that shut down over the border wall. Um, You know, at, at some point he gets sort of deputized to find President Trump a way out of this. And he has kind of an Immigration 101 download from immigration advisors inside the government and is questioning them about what can work and what can't mm-hmm. work. And, and it sort of dawns on him in, in one of these meetings that, you know, and he says out loud, we've wasted the last two years that they've focused so much on the wall, focused so much on this physical structure yeah. that they haven't actually ended up getting their hands around the problem. Thanks to all of you for trying to make sense of a very busy week. That's it for us today. Thanks for watching. And thank you to the Jones Day Law Firm for the facilities here on Capitol Hill. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Republican Senator Roy Blunt, Foreign Affairs Committee Chair Elliot Engel, and Democratic Congressman Jim Hines. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter and Instagram. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now 
by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.